With us last week, you might wonder why there's two huge jars of gumballs and why they're, like, one's really, really full, in case you can't tell. Um, and that was supposed to be 3,000 gumballs, although my spatial math is not very good because uh, we've been eating gumballs in the office all week because we bought 3,000 of them because um, we're going to put them in that jar. Um, 743 went in that jar. Um, so pretend that's 3,000 gumballs and that's 40, because that is 40, but that's not really 3,000, but just pretend with me for a minute. So what we talked about last week is the reality how in our everyday lives, if we say we value like faith, for example, our kids or our grandkids or someone else's kids and grandkids, they at the end of the year, they will have spent at best, most on the average, about 40 hours a year in the life of a church. They'll soon spend 3,000 hours with you. So when we talk about the formation, the shaping of our kids, the church, we don't think, oh, give us your kids so we can shape them to be these great people in the world. We say, hey, let's partner together and shape our kids in such a way that they better the world around us because the church cannot do it. Um, The church represents the yellow or the light of Christ And the red represents the love of the family. And so when these two things come together, they create orange. The idea that we as a church want to create orange with our families and our community. And so that's what we talked about last week. And we also talked about that for every young person. So um, I had three jars up here last week. They had about 330 marbles each. Because each of us from the time of birth to the graduation of high school, we have about a thousand weeks a year or a thousand weeks period with our kids to live in our homes. Sounds like a lot, right? Um, I use the example, I said, my son's eight. He's easier than my daughter because her math didn't work out as well. And I took away two jars. And I said, or I took away one jar and I said, I've got two left. I've already lost a third of his life and it's gone. It's not coming back. And so as you left last week, we gave you a marble. Um, We gave you a marble that looked like this. Um, Oh, I had some pocket lint online too, but like it was just a marble. And we said, take this marble because you have a week. This marble represents one week. And what are you going to do with this one week? Because today we said it's a new week, and so actually we're going to give you a new marble just to remember this week. And, and I wondered if any of you kept your marbles or if you lost them. Um, I, that wasn't meant to be funny, but that was pretty good. So, um, but I wonder if you lost your marble, lost your week, if you took advantage of your week. And so Friday night I went to this daddy-daughter dance with my daughter and ran into a guy from church. And um, I said, oh, this is exactly what we would do on a Friday night, right? And so he pulled out his marble and he goes, well, it should be. <laughs> Good for you, because I didn't have mine. Um, glad he remembered. So, we were talking last week about this idea that family matters, how we invest our time matters, because there's only so much of it. But I was thinking about how every family has their quirks. I mean, I know, not your family. Your family is the only normal family. Your family is the exception. There's nothing weird about your family. You just think everyone else is weird. I know, because I hear that from everyone, which tells me they're all weird. Um, I mean, not my family, of course, right? Uh, they are. You could probably learn some things from us. I mean, I don't know that we would be the best example of how to live your best life now, but, but we could tell you about um, there's no weird things except for the fact that in my house, there's a calendar on the refrigerator that has lots of things like what's for lunch at school, so they know whether it's hot lunch or cold lunch day. Uh, but there's also on the calendar a mark that my wife puts because there's a blanket in our house that, that my kids and my wife all love, and so we literally have to, to put on the calendar who gets it what night. I don't partake in that, but don't put your, the fork in the wrong drawer. Um, I'm above that one. 
But I was thinking about the weird things that we've all done in our families. I mean, it's kind of the, the stupid or silly or whatever. And so I remember I sent my brothers and sister a text this week and just said, hey, can you do, what stories do you guys have that we look back that we did that were so weird now uh, that we probably thought were normal at the time? A couple of them I can't even share with you because they're too embarrassing to share out loud. But I can share one of you that, because I think it's pretty normal, right? When we, were, when we were boys, my sister didn't partake in this, probably good, but when we were boys and it would rain, when we were little, especially like under like 13 years old, we would play basketball in the backyard in our underwear. I mean, you did that too in the rain, right? I mean, everyone did that? No? Just us? Like I said, some of them were more embarrassing than that that I don't want to share. Um, I might tell you one-on-one because they're kind of funny, but they're not appropriate to share probably right now. You might see me differently. <laughs> but we pass around stories from our family. We pass them down from generation to generation. We pass down stories in the way that we raise our kids. You know, in, in my family growing up, we were really competitive. And so we played lots of basketball. And so I, I, I noticed that co- competition comes out in our family in all kinds of unique ways. I found myself trying to explain to my son why it's okay to lose. I don't know where he got this from, except probably from my brothers and I. Um, and I don't... I think it really does happen genetically. It's weird. I don't know how this works. But I was thinking about, like, competition's not always bad, except for maybe in our house when growing up, when you would, you might lick a cinnamon roll or put your finger through a piece of pizza so that one of your siblings couldn't have it. I mean, you did that too, right? No? Just us again. Okay. Um, But I remember my family, there were some unique things that happened growing up. I remember growing up in a house that we were at the church every time the doors were opened. And and that's a good practice that to this day, uh, my my siblings and I kind of carry on. But I also think one of the things that my my parents and I, I would say this lovingly because I love them and they did a really good job, but, but they probably missed the mark. They didn't talk to us about why. Right? They didn't say, hey, we go to church because we think God has done some incredible things for us through the person of Jesus, and it's changed our lives, and we want you guys to, to partner with that. We want to share in life with other people so they can help raise you too. We love each other, and we love God, and so we think being connected to his church is how we live that out. They didn't talk about that much. They just said, get in the car. Um, <laughs> we're leaving. <laughs> okay. I didn't know it was an option. And so I went to college and found out you don't have to go. There's no rule. And for some of you, many of you know, there's no rule because I don't see you every week. But we're glad you're here when you are here. Um, but what are the stories that have shaped your family? When you look back on your life and you think of the stories that have shaped your family, I mean, what, what are the stories, if we're honest, we've probably gotten wrong? I mean, sometimes we recognize in the future we got some things wrong, but but we don't know how to go back and fix it. Like some of you come from families where, where you live out this kind of model where you say, hey, we're going to portray to everyone in the world that there is nothing wrong with our family. There are no problems. Our lives are perfect. And we will mask all brokenness in every form in our family. Don't you dare tell anyone or show anyone because if you do, that's not who we are. We smile and we fake it and we do it well. No, that wasn't your family story either. Some of us are living that story today and we don't know what to do with it. Some of us walked in here today with masks on because we know there's parts of our family that we don't like. We know there's parts that probably need change or we wish we didn't carry, but we are afraid if we shared anyone, shared that information with anyone that they wouldn't know what to do with it and they would think less of us. In fact, one of the things that happens with social media between Facebook and Instagram, we see pictures, usually they're highlight reels of people's lives. 
All right, we often don't see that the reason many people take selfies is because I need affirmation that I'm valuable and I'm good. And so if you will click like, it makes me feel better. In fact, we don't, we really write honest things like on Facebook. We don't say, oh, my husband, he annoys me like crazy. I can't stand him. My kids are flunking everything. They're such losers. We don't write that stuff on Facebook. We say, oh, did you see this awesome vacation we just took? These sweet pictures? Now, I'm not saying you should post all your garbage online. I think that's bad too. But are we honest about who we really are? But what we're really going through? Do we recognize that sometimes we, we say things like, we value honesty in this house until honesty costs us something? In other words, do we share messages and stories that we really don't want repeated? In fact, um, I think sometimes, I, I know, not sometimes, I know, that there have been times when the church has done that. We perpetuated messages that we don't really want people to hear, but we, we, we say them either with words intentionally or unintentionally, or with actions intentionally or unintentionally. I mean, we, we say, share these inadvertent messages, and they'll, say, they'll sound like this. The church is the place you have to go if you have everything together. Or we'll say things like, God hates sinners. There's not room for you to be a part of this family until you're not dysfunctional. And those are all wrong things to say. Those are just not true. God loves people, all people. We're all pretty messed up. We're all in need of kind of some restoration and repairing in our lives. None of us have it all together. And the, the church is the people you belong to, especially when you don't have your act together. See, these messages we share, they, we flip them upside down sometimes, and we don't mean to. I mean, the truth is, all of our families are dysfunctional, and the church family is no different because it's full of a bunch of hurt, broken people. But we recognize that somehow the hurt, broken people, God's calling us to live together in some unique way that changes us and changes our future. And we, we want to learn together to share the right stories and not the wrong ones, the right messages and not the wrong ones. To be clear, God desires a life for us that is better than we dream for ourselves. And he loves us in ways greater than we can imagine. I mean, one of the things I love about Jesus is he was always telling stories. He would tell all kinds of stories about, like, here's what would happen to this mustard seed, or all kinds of things he would share. And he'd share these stories as a way of really trying to get us to understand who God actually is, not who we may think God is. And see, I think even today we need to rediscover who God is. To have a new understanding, and Jesus tries to get us to see who God is. We, we sometimes read the Old Testament, we get confused, like, I don't understand, and Jesus goes, well, here, let me clear it all up for you. And so he tells you stories, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of God is like, or he'll begin to say, once there was this farmer, or once there was this shepherd. In fact, he tells this story, it's in, it's in Matthew chapter 18 in Luke, um, no, uh, either way, it's Matthew 15. Matthew 18, Luke 15. We're going to be in Luke 15 in just a minute. I, there's too many chapters. Um, but he tells this story about the shepherd who has 99 sheep. And he says, how many of you, if you were a shepherd and you had 99 sheep and you lost one, one didn't come back, how many of you would leave everything to go bring that one sheep back? And some are like, well, I mean, 99 out of 100, that's pretty good. That's an A in every class I've ever taken. Like 99% is pretty solid. Like, I, I mean, he says, No. A really good shepherd would never leave that sheep alone. He would be gone, whether it was days or weeks, 
doesn't matter. He would go until he found that last sheep, and then he would come back because 99 is not good enough. It is not all of them. And Jesus says, well, that's, that's who my dad is. That's who I am. Like, if there are 99, like, that's, that's good. 99 is really good, but it's not all of them. It's not 100. Do you know how much my dad loves you? He loves you enough that if he was like that shepherd, he would keep going after those sheep until he found that last one. And he tells this other story. I mean, it's, it's probably a more powerful story for honest. I mean, the 99 and 1 is really good. It's this idea that, that God will go no matter what until he's found all. But Luke, the gospel writer, records this story in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. And it's recorded in really every gospel. It's, re- it's a story that's recorded in such a way that we all look to. It's a story that you've heard. It's a story that's pretty, pretty familiar, even if you don't, aren't sure where you stand with Jesus. You've probably heard this story. And I'll ask you to stand as we read it. Um, we're reading from Luke chapter 15, beginning with verse 11. Luke writes these words. He says, Jesus continued. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate, for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you're always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Um, The word of the Lord. You may be seated. I mean, this story begins with a line that I think we sometimes miss. It says a man had two sons. We know the story of the prodigal son. I mean, that's the story we we think of it as. But it begins with a line, a man had two sons. These two different sons in the story really represent probably all of us in some way, shape, or form. See, the younger son who comes to his dad and says, Dad, basically, I wish you were dead. I want my inheritance. 
So his dad sells off a third of his land, which is what the younger sons take, and sells it off now. And the son goes off on his own. The older son has stayed home, and he's been the good son, but he's kind of angry. He's bitter. He didn't do it out of love. He did it out of obligation, not out of a sense that my father really cares for me, but this out of this, like, huh. Someday this is all mine, so I guess I'll have to keep doing this. And so, I mean, Jesus would have told the story in some ways that, that those who would have been called tax collectors and sinners in his day would have been the younger son, the, the kind of wild people who lived off on their own. And, and the second group would have been the religious people of his day, the Pharisees, teachers of the law, the church people. They were the older brother. Some of us are the older brother. I'll talk about that in a moment. But what the story also illustrates is that the younger brothers were drawn to Jesus. I mean, they're, they're drawn to him. Are they drawn to you and I? If the younger brothers are drawn to Jesus, are they drawn to you and I? See, I think we sometimes miss that you and I play a pretty powerful role in God's story, in the story of other people's lives. We have opportunity to either treat people like the younger brother coming home, or we have the opportunity to treat people like the older brother. And we act like, I was here first. I mean, don't you know how many years I've been in church? I was paying tithe before you ever thought about following Jesus. Don't you know how old I am and how many years I've done this? Or whatever it is that we think, and we've all probably, who've been in the church for very long, been guilty of that in some way, shape, or form. I know I have. Instead of celebrating, we don't. So, I, I mean, this story really is pretty powerful if you look at it. I and mean, the younger brother has gone to dad and said, hey, um, I wish you were dead. I'll take my inheritance now. And so he gets his inheritance and he goes off on his own and, and he lives however he wants to live. And so what the picture is seen in this is a father loves a son enough to let him go where he wants to go. Because this is how God loves you and I. He, he loves us enough to let us go where we want to go, even if where we want to go leads to broken places. He won't stop us because it's not loving to control. It is loving to let go. You hope to shape and form in a way that when we let go, it's why we talk about time. It's why we talk about hours you have as parents and grandparents and surrogate parents and surrogate grandparents. We want to help people understand a way to live that brings life and not destruction because the younger brother heard all those same stories, but he bought into an image of life that says, ah, I know better. As the father loved him enough to let him go where he wanted to go. And so this Jew who finds himself out and he spends all of his money, he goes through it all so fast. And a fam- famine comes and he's hungry. And he's up in this foreign land and where a Jewish guy to be working with pigs is unheard of. But when you have no other option, when you're hungry, when you have nothing left in front of you, when we finally hit rock bottom, that sometimes is when we're willing to think about God or come to God. It's in those moments we don't know where else to go. We don't know what else to do. And so the son says, oh, the pigs eat better than I do. My dad has servants and slaves and whatever else, and they eat better than I am, so I should just go home. I'll ask him if I can just be a servant. I don't need to be a son anymore. I've, I've ruined that. And maybe the most pivotal moment of the story, the son turns toward home. And then I love the lines of the scripture, whatever version you read, it says something like this. And when the son was still a long way off, the father ran to him. 
Right. I mean, it's, it's powerful because in, especially in, in the Middle Eastern world, fathers didn't run, one, because you had to like pull up your robe and so you had to hold it high to run. It's, it's undistinguished. Not to mention this father would have been the laughing stock of his community. You sold a third of your stuff for a son so he could pretend you're dead? What kind of a joke of a man are you? This father swallows whatever indignities he may have faced in his community, and he runs to his son. And when he gets there, the son begins to speak to him and say, Oh, Dad, and, and in my head I see this story where the father just stops him and he says, Stop. I already know. The son doesn't even confess, doesn't even apologize, he doesn't even say, I'm sorry. And the dad's already saying, Quick, go bring him one of my robes. Let him wear the ring from my finger. Go kill the fattened calf and let's celebrate because this son of mine who was lost is found. This son of mine who's been gone, who I thought may have even been dead, he has come home and he is my son whom I love and he runs to him. I mean, it really is a story of a father whose love is unrelenting. It pursues his son. This child of mine was lost but was found. This story has inspired all kinds of things. In fact, uh, Rembrandt, the famous painter, has painted a painting of it. And I, I think we put a picture on the screen. This is not a, I mean, it's not the real picture. It's, it's a Google image. But, but in the picture, you see a father embracing his son. It's a story that we sometimes miss. And since this story has inspired all kinds of things. So one of my favorite authors, Henry Nouwen, he writes this about about this Rembrandt painting. He says, Rembrandt is as much the elder son of the parable as he is the younger. When during the last years of his life, he painted both sons in return of the prodigal son, he had lived a life in which neither the lostness of the younger son nor the lostness of the elder son was alien to him. Both needed healing and forgiveness. Both needed to come home. Both needed the embrace of a forgiving father. But from the story itself, as well as from Rembrandt's painting, it's clear that the hardest conversion to go through is the conversion of the one who stayed home. What now in Rembrandt and so many others cannot really grasp is that the love of God is free gift to us. God's love is not what we deserve, but is what he lavishes upon us. So thinking about this story, Philip Yancey wrote this. In his story of the prodigal son, Jesus does not dwell on the prodigal's motive for return. The younger son feels no sudden remorse, no burst of love for the father he insulted. Rather, he tires of a life of squalor and returns out of selfish motives. Apparently, it matters little to God whether we approach him out of desperation or out of longing. The person writes this, he says, Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, says that he one time had a pastor friend who was having trouble with his 15-year-old daughter. His father knew his daughter was sexually active, and there were several nights where she had bothered not to come home at all. The parents tried various forms of punishment, but nothing worked. Every time they punished the girl, that just pushed her further and further away. The daughter lied to them, deceived them, and even found a way to turn the tables on them. It's your fault I'm this way. It's your fault for being so strict. The pastor friend turned to Yancey and said, I remember standing before the plate glass window in my living room, staring out into the darkness, waiting for her to come home. I felt such rage. 
I wanted to be like the father of the prodigal son, yet I was furious with my daughter for the way she would manipulate us and twist the knife to hurt us. And of course, she was hurting herself more than anyone. I understood then the passages in the prophets of the Old Testament expressing God's anger. The people knew how to wound God, and God cried out in pain. And then the man said, And yet I must tell you, when my daughter came home that night, or rather the next morning, I wanted nothing in the world so much as to take her in my arms to love her, to tell her I wanted the best for her. I was a helpless, lovesick father. Who is God? What is God like? God is like that father standing in front of a plate glass window, gazing achingly into the darkness, waiting for you to come home. God is the waiting father, heartsick, abused, yet wanting above all else to forgive you, to begin anew, to announce with joy to the angels of heaven, this son of mine, this daughter of mine, is alive again. He was lost, she was lost, and is found. This is the story of my father. My father sees the flaws in my life and in my past and in my present. As I turn to him, he runs to me and he says, You are my child whom I love. And that's true for all of us if we want it to be. It's the kind of story that the church should share better. It's the kind of story we should share better as parents and grandparents and surrogate parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles and whatever else we may be. This is who God is. God is the God who comes running to us. It's the words of John for us where he said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that none should perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus comes as the representative of the Father. He says, I want you to know who my dad really is. I want you to know a new story. I want you to understand a new understanding of who God actually is. And so Jesus heads to the cross to show that his Father will suffer whatever indignities it takes for us to recognize that he desires for us to be in right relationship with him. See, there is no place in the world that is so forsaken. There is no person who is so God forsaken, so broken, so messed up, so far from God that God doesn't run to, because that's not what a loving father does. God says to us, come as you are, come broken, come if you think you have it all together, come if you're poor or if you're rich or if you're old or if you're young, God says, just come to me all, all of you. Because if there's still one out there, if there's still, even if I have all 99, there's still one missing that I want you to know I will pursue you relentlessly because that's who I am. Jesus wants us to know that God is the loving Father. And he loves us enough to let us go where we want to go, which is the scary part if we're really honest. But is this the story we share around our dinner tables Do the actions of our lives, I mean, do they reflect this relentless pursuing of God's love? Or do the stories around our families look more like, oh, oh, how dare you question me? How dare you do this? You will respect me. What do the stories sound like in our cars? I mean, some of us today are the older brother. I was here first. I've been here. You're new. Sometimes the younger brother, pretty far. I'm kind of okay with it right now. 
But what are the stories that we share in our families and life of our church? What's the story we're telling our kids and our grandkids? I was thinking about this this week, and, and my wife was gone for work for four days this week. And so um, I did the whole, like, Mr. Mom thing all week. And some of you do it all the time, and my heart goes out to you. Um, so we were getting ready for school or doing something. I don't remember. It was the end of a day, and I, I caught myself. My son had spoken sharply to my daughter in a way, in a tone that's not appropriate in our house. And we don't kind of let that slide. But then my response to him sounded a lot like what he said to his sister. And I caught myself after it had already come out. I said, Isaac, I'm going to stop you right there. You shouldn't have said it to your sister. Because the way you said what you said, it wasn't even what you said was that bad, but the way you said it was hateful. And I said, but I need to apologize to you because the way I said what I said to you wasn't good either. See, I don't want... I don't want my kids to think that we talk to people how they deserve to be talked to. I want my kids to hear a story. We talk to them how we wish we were talked to. And so I had to apologize to my son just this week as I was thinking about this message. I had to say, Isaac, I'm sorry because I needed to correct you because what you did was inappropriate and it isn't loving. And so we talk about in our house a lot about, is that loving? Is that a loving thing to do? That's a phrase we use a lot. And he's like, no, it wasn't. I said, and, and I... I said, I didn't mean to say it the way I said because I don't know that it sounded really loving. It was probably out of love. I, don't think, I didn't say it out of hate or anger towards you. I just said it because like, ah, I wanted you to be better to your sister. But I love you, and I'm sorry for the way I said it. Are we okay? Yeah, we're fine. I mean, he, he didn't care. <laughs> but I cared because the stories that I want to shape my kids, the stories I want to shape your kids and grandkids, the stories I want to shape our church, it will look a lot more like the prodigal father who runs to us with relentlessness, with recklessness, with this pursuit that says, I'm going to continue to sh- come after you because the question for you and I is, what is the story we want to be written in our homes and in the life of the church? I want it to be the story of the prodigal. I want to be part of a people that doesn't matter how far you are, you're welcome. I want to be part of people who call out the older brother and go, hey, you're being an older brother. Knock it off. And not a good older brother. Like the cranky one. Stop it. I want to be a part of a people who tell the story of the 99 sheep who are found, but say, you know what? We like that there's a bunch of us here, but there's still not enough because there's some that are missing. And whatever it takes, we'll do because I'm going to find that last sheep. I want to be part of that kind of people who tell that kind of story, don't you? I mean, can you imagine if for just a minute what our families might look like if we began to do that? It's why last week I said, hey, you've got one week. It starts today. But you know what I say again this week? You've got one week. It starts today. So you get another marble when you leave today. You can have two if you want, or you can just take the new one because last week is now over. You can't go back. I can't go back. We can decide to make the most of every opportunity from this day forward. We can decide that we're going to tell new stories in our house. And the way in which we tell those stories is going to change. And I want to be a part of a community of faith who's telling a new story to our community. It's why we've been talking so much. And we'll continue to talk about this. This idea that we want people to be know what we're for. That's why we keep saying things like this. God is for you. He's for your future. He's for your family. And he's for this community. It's why we have shirts that say for the lakeshore because God is for you. 
And for some of us, that's a new message that we've never heard about God. It's a new idea that maybe, maybe, maybe God really does love me. But you want to know how people are going to see God's love? Like through you and I. I know, it's, it, I wish he had a better plan, but this is plan, right? You and I are going to model love in such a way, by the way we raise our kids, by the way we care for other people's kids, by the way we spend our time and our money and our energy, by the way that we do that, we will share this story that says, hey, do you know how much God loves you? He'll suffer every indignity. And he'll run to you. Hey, do you know how much God loves you that not even death itself, not even death on a cross will hinder God's love from coming to you? Hey, do you want to know how much God loves you? Do you want to know that you can write a new story? Do you want to know that God gives second chances, especially when we don't deserve them? Like, this is who God is. And for so much of the time, we get it wrong, but sometimes we do get it right. And this, we believe we're getting right. That we want to tell this community that God loves them, that God's for them, that he's for your family. And so we think that we want to partner together to create orange. We want, want the love of the family to be seen in new ways because we think this can impact that. And together, God can do a new thing in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, with our kids. And so today, you get a fresh chance. You get a new start. And so I want to give two, two opportunities. We're going, to, we're going to sing just one more song about God's reckless love here in just a moment. And, but, but before they come here, before they do that, I, I just want to say this. If you've never decided to give your life to Jesus, if you want to say, ah, God, if you really love me in this way, I'm all in. I'll be yours. I'm in. If you want to believe in a God who recklessly and relentlessly pursues you, if that's true for you, in just a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. Um, in fact, what, what's going to happen is I, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to pray, and, and as I'm praying, I'm, I'm, I'm going to actually look. So, like, I'm just going to tell you. Um, I'll tell you, you don't, you don't have to look, but I'm going to. But if you think God is calling you to take your next step spiritually, to take a step towards him, if he's inviting you to come to know him in some kind of way, I want you to be thinking, is that the voice of God calling to me? Is that his spirit who loves me and pursues me? And so will you, will you pray with me in this moment? And maybe God... If you're that son who thinks, I just need to turn to him, and he, know this, he's already running to you because he loves you. Recklessly, relentlessly, with a passion that we cannot describe. So we pray with me. Father, we thank you. And as the, as the praise team comes to lead us in this song about your reckless love, I, I, we just want to say today that if maybe we're wrestling with whether we believe in this or not, whether we're wrestling with that somehow God wants to do a new thing in us. And so, so Father, today, if... If God has been speaking to one of us, if God has been speaking to us in such a way that, that, uh, that we know we need to take a step towards him, and it may be that it's for the first time or another time, or I just need to turn back again, but today, if, you, if you're here and you sense God speaking to you in a way that matters, and with his changing your life in a way that you think he's calling to you, I, I just give this invitation now. If you think he's just calling you to take a next, next step, whatever that step may look like, would you just, would you raise your hand this morning? If he's going to take that next step and, and you've raised your hands, now here's um, what I'd ask. If you think um, in that next step that you just need to give your life to Christ and you want to follow Jesus, uh, would you look at me? Um, and here's the part that's scarier. 
if you looked at me, I would invite you as we sing this song and as we all stand to sing it, that you would come forward and you would come and let me pray with you. And that you would trust truly your life to Jesus this day and a Father who loves you and pursues you and that you and I would reflect that story in our homes and our lives and our community. So Father, we pray this in Jesus' name.